0: Good to have everyone here this morning. Uh, It's hard to judge what's a large crowd anymore, but I think if we're around 20, we're we're a large crowd. And uh, uh, whether we're two or whether we're 22, we're here to worship God. I've chosen Habakkuk chapter two, verse 20, as my text this morning. Probably in the Old Testament, it's the Most memorize verse, but people don't necessarily remember. They memorize the verse, but don't remember where it came from. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. In the days when Israel was a kingdom, the Lord came to claim the temple in Jerusalem as His, His place but even that could not contain Him. It could never hold Him because God is eternal and God is omnipresent and God is omnipotent and God is everywhere at all times, past, present, and future. And so we need to realize that when the prophet speaks of the Lord being in His holy temple, when God is on His throne, God is in His holy temple. And here the prophet is saying the earth needs to learn to keep silence before him. The earth needs to be listening. The earth evidently hadn't been listening. If you back up one verse in Habakkuk and look at verse 19, he said, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, Arise! Shall this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. They had a serious problem with idolatry. to to be real straightforward about it. And they would take a piece of wood or a piece of stone and turn it into what they wanted it to be. And then, well, besides that, they'd overlay it with gold. So if it did have any life in it, it couldn't breathe. And they say, uh, Woe to them that saith, Awake, awake! Were there people saying such things to these dumb idols? Probably there were. The woe here focuses upon the priests and the others who use the idols to deceive simple minds. For all intents and purposes, the dumb idols of Babylon were the only god that any of the people had ever known. Such gods were a mere cipher in the spiritual sense. It must be viewed as an astonishing fact. What a terrible fate must ever await a nation which doesn't know the true God. As for the idols of Babylon, frequently of wood and stone, They were overlaid with the gold and silver, making it impossible for them to speak. Even if the idol had a voice, it could never escape. But you know what? Jehovah is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. There's a little one-line song in the hymn book, The Lord is in His holy temple. It says the same thing the verse does. And you know, when we gather, when we assemble to worship God, God is... Already in His holy temple, we come into His presence to worship. The temple of God in view here is not a mere house of worship, though; it's the place the Lord resides, or the or the being in heaven. Isaiah twenty-six twenty-one, Psalm eleven four, Jonah two seven, Michael one two. God reigns in heaven and fills heaven. God's holy temple, therefore, is not the shrine in Jerusalem, but heaven itself. The dramatic meaning of all this is simply that God has not abandoned His creation. He still sits upon the throne of universal authority and power. He is the Almighty God, and the indecent and scandalous behavior of of apostate powers constructed by rebellious and wicked men such as those of Babylon will rage from time to time throughout history but only under the uh, permissive will of Him who is all and in all and above all. And those who trust in the true God and strive humbly to do His will may rest in serene assurance that their reward with God is still safe. doesn't matter how troublesome your world gets or how on fire your country gets, your reward with God is still safe. They can't touch it. They can't, Reach into those places. People who cause disturbance in our world today, they may not have these little idols, but they have their idols. In many instances, their idol happens to be themselves. They are so bound up in humanism that they are great and wonderful and they need more power. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. All the noise made by sinful and rebellious mankind will eventually subside. God will speak from his throne on high at the appointed time, and all nations will assemble before him for judgment in a great day. And at that moment, all the world will fulfill the commandment that's uttered here. No other attitude is proper but to keep silence, whether in submissive, patient faith, or in speechless terror. But you can rest assured when the Lord Jesus returns to this earth that the world will be silent in His presence. In Revelation 6.17 says that occasion will be the one uh, where He says, For the great day of His wrath has come, who shall be able to stand. So Habakkuk says, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. And sometimes we're in a world where there's not a silent place, but of all places we should find a moment of silence when we come to our place of worship, wherever it may be. If it's in a field, if it's in a a renovated building, if it's in a building you built from scratch, the building is not the house of God. It's not his throne room, but it's the place where the where the family of God goes, where the kingdom of God is extended to, and we enter into his throne room. And with that thought in mind, our next text is Isaiah chapter six, verses one through ten. In the year that King Uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, and each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, this is Isaiah speaking, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of the people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. You know, as Isaiah begins to pin this this vision on down on the uh, the the document into the document that he's writing, he starts talking about th- the throne room activity. And all of this throne room activity was about God. Specifically, it was worship. And when you got into the throne room and Isaiah is looking on and beholding what's going on, do you know there wasn't a creature stirring that wasn't focused on God Almighty? There wasn't a creature speaking that wasn't focused on God Almighty. He's in the throne room. He's given the vision. He's able to see what's there. And the throne room was a place where there was definitely a focus on God. And you know this morning we come into the presence of God when we assemble to worship Him. The kingdom of God is within your hearts. You're a part of the kingdom of God, a part of the kingdom of heaven. God rules and reigns in heaven and He rules and reigns in the hearts of Christians here upon the earth. And so the focus of our worship is God. We sing the hymns, and they're about God. They're praising God. They're praising His Son. We read the Scripture, and it's about praising God and holding high His Word and holding it of great importance. And we take the communion. And it's to remind us of what our Lord did when He went to the cross. And there He hung in agony while He suffered, and He died, and He bled, And His blood became the atoning power for our sins. And just as God was praised and glorified in the throne room here in Isaiah's vision, this morning when saints assemble and they worship in spirit and in truth and their focus is upon God and their focus is about God, then God is praised and God is glorified. We exist to bring glory to God. We assemble to worship and to bring glory to God. And if we have any other motive or purpose, we need to put that in check. And we need to change our thinking about it. And you know, Isaiah is there and he's in the presence of God. And he couldn't help but begin to acknowledge what a sinner he was. His penitence was showing. He says, I, I'm unclean and I've come from... a." of people that are unclean. How can I possibly be here? But you know, God cleansed and forgave his sins. God had the power. God had the authority. He sent the angel with the coal and put it on his tongue, and he cleansed it. As these people and beings moved back and forth in the presence of God, we get a, we get a glimpse of some of it in the book of Revelation we find out what they're singing about. In Revelation 4, 8-11, the four beasts, each of them, had six wings about Him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. In other words, Lord God Almighty, the Eternal and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him They sat on the throne and they worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come, give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things for Thy pleasure. They are and were created. He's worthy. He's worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. He's the creator of all. And He created all and everything for His pleasure and for Him. And they and we are created to bring glory to God. It's not what we want. You know, and I realized back in the 80s, commercials on TV got people in the mindset of have it your way. It's not about my way. It's not about which verses are my favorite, and and I'll write me a dogma out of that, and I'll pick a name, and I'll call it uh, uh, Flying Breeze or or, uh, Flooding River. The Scripture gave us a name for God's kingdom. Gives several descriptive names as a matter of fact. And he gave us a pattern and a plan and a law and a form of government and a form of worship and a form for salvation. He gave us everything. Peter says that God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't need anything from anybody else. God gave us all things. And we don't need to eliminate anything He gave us Because if it's all the things we need that pertain to life and godliness and you eliminate any of it, then you're throwing away part of what you need. You see, our God is great and our God is glorious in holiness. In Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10, Isaiah said, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. You know, all throughout the Old Testament again and again, God had to remind Israel, I'm God. When you start reading the books that Moses wrote and specifically Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and God says, I am the Lord thy God. I am your God. I am your Lord. I am the Lord thy God. He just had to keep reminding those people. And He referred to them as a stiff-necked and rebellious bunch, and they indeed were. But you know what? There are a lot of people living in this world that were descended from them evidently, and I'm not talking about Jewish people. I'm talking about people of the disposition of Cain who are rebellious against God in heaven and disrespectful to God. God says, I am God. God says there is none else. You can't find another one. I'm the one and only. There's none greater and there's none lesser because I'm the only one. I am eternal, He says. He declares the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, but He's not part of the beginning and the end. He is eternal. His counsel stands. You can't appeal it. You can't go to a higher court when God issues an edict or gives you a law. You can't change it. He will do all His pleasure. In Exodus fifteen eleven, the scripture says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Little letter G. Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders? He's glorious in His holiness. The Bible talks about the beauty of of holiness and I'm afraid we don't completely comprehend that because we have an unholy world that we reside in and we tend to step over into the mud every once in a while and get dirty and we need to make an effort make a point to walk in the light as he is in the light and to realize that there is glory glory in holiness And God is fearful in praises, and He's doing wonders. He did wonders at the beginning. He's done wonders in the middle, and He'll do wonders all the way to the end. In the 145th Psalm, the psalmist said, I will extol Thee, my God, O King. I will bless Thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless Thee, and I will praise Thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works, and men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious." And full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. All Thy works shall praise Thee, O Lord, and Thy saints shall bless Thee. They shall speak of the glory of Thy kingdom, and talk of Thy power, to make known to the sons of men His mighty acts, and the glorious majesty of His kingdom. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom." And thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thy hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. The psalmist says, I will extol Thy name. Instead of extol, we would say, I will praise Your name enthusiastically. I will get excited about Your name. I will bless Thy name. I will praise Thy name. I will speak of the unsearchable greatness of Your name. I will speak of the glorious honor of Your majesty. I will speak of Your wondrous works. Men will speak of the might of Your terrible acts. But I will declare Your greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory... Of thy goodness. They shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is full of compassion. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is great of mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. All his works will praise him. The saints will bless him. The saints will speak of the glory of the kingdom. They'll talk of his power. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is full of compassion. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all His works. All Thy works shall praise Thee, O Lord. The saints will bless Thee. They'll speak of the glory of Thy kingdom. They'll talk of Thy power. And when you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His acts. The Lord is close to those who call on Him. Not just those who call on Him, though. The Lord is close to them who call on Him, call upon Him in truth. He will ful- fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. And it, He will hear their cry. He will save them. The Lord preserveth those that love Him, but the wicked He'll destroy. And the psalmist said, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And it's almost like he's asking a question in that statement. Will your mouth do the same? Will you follow the path I'm following? Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. We know that there's an environment outside this door that does not bless the holy name of God. We know there's an environment outside this door that does not want the name of Jesus to be spoken. We know there's an environment outside that door that would shut the mouths of preachers, close the mouths of singers, close the books and burn them up. And probably would do the same to the buildings. But you know what? We serve a God who is greater than all of that. We serve a God that is more powerful than all of that. And being His servants and being Christians, when we enter into His presence, when we come into the place where the church assembles, and we come before the throne of God... We need to start from the very young teaching our children we're in the presence of God. We're here to respect our God. We must walk worthy of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul said, For this cause we also since the day we've heard of it do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness." Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible by him, to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Paul's praying that the Colossians might walk worthy of the Lord. How? Unto all pleasing, pleasing God in everything, and that they might be fruitful in every good work, and that they might increase in the knowledge of God, and that they might be strengthened with might according to his glorious power. And have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father. I thank God for His love. I thank God for His life. I thank God for His Son who died for me. I thank God for all the bad times because without them we could never all the good know all the good times. Praise God. Praise God anyhow. We serve a God who is made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And in His Son, in Him, not outside Him, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. When we come into the presence of God, we come into a holy place. When Moses saw the burning bush and he approached it to see what was going on, and God spoke to him and he says, You take your shoes off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. And I'm not saying God expects us to take our shoes off this morning. But I would say unto you that when the church assembles, we are standing on holy ground. Not that there's anything special about the ground. What is special is about the redeemed that belong to God. What is special is about the kingdom that's residing in our hearts. And what is special is the work that God intended us to do. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I have a light to shine. You have a light to shine. That shine begins here because we're reflecting the light from above. We're getting the light from Jesus. The Father is sending the light to us. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of His dear Son. And so now we have lights to shine out in our community. We have lights to shine by our example here, week by week. We display a faith in God. We display a trust in God. We display the fact that we not only believe in God, but we believe God. And therefore, I have a light to shine, and I have a light to shine before men. And there is a purpose behind that. A life of good works should glorify God. So when we go out the door and we're living out in the world, the world that James would address in his letter, what to do when you're out there, and many other writings do the same, we realize who we are and whose we are. We are Christians, and we've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and we belong to God, and we remember why we're out there. We're bringing glory to God so that the the unbeliever... We'll see our good works and glorify God in heaven. You know, in the first century, people obeyed the gospel. They saw people getting healed. We don't see physical healings going on like it did then. That was part of that dispensation. But I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of spiritual healing that needs to go on in this world. And when we walk in the light as He is in the light, and when we walk righteously, and when we live to bring glory to God, we're going to see some of that healing start to take place out there all around us. One of the places that that is strengthened, one of the places that that begins, is when we enter into the presence of God. When Isaiah entered into the throne room in that vision, and he was terrified because he was unclean. We can take confidence that we are not unclean because... We've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And so, just as we know what our purpose is when we go out the door, we know that our purpose for being here is to worship God Almighty, God All-Powerful, God All-Knowing, All-Loving, God Full of Mercy. We're here to worship Him. And we teach it to the very young and we bring them into adulthood and we show reverence to God unlike any reverence that we would show to any other kind of event, we show respect to God unlike any other respect that we would show in the kingdoms of men. Because our God is the God. And our God is the only God. There is none greater, there is none lesser, and He's all-powerful. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have another opportunity. You're still breathing. Jesus died for your sins and mine. He died so that our sins could be taken away. When we obey Him, when we come to a faith in Him, and we repent of our sins and confess Him as our Savior, and are buried with Him in baptism, our sins are removed, they're gone forever. God remembers them no more. And we begin a life of total commitment, being faithful unto death, at which time we'll receive our crown of life, and maybe like the elders in the vision of Revelation, we can go into the throne room of God and cast our crowns before Him. If you're a Christian and you haven't been faithful to your calling, we're here to pray with you and for you to encourage you. Whatever you need is this morning. Will you come while we stand and sing?